been just over a year now since Nick Bryant, a former CEO of McCann World Group and CEO of iCrossing, took the reins at Dentsu Aegis Network Americas. The advertising company was formed in 2013 to manage parent company Dentsu's operation outside of Japan. Dentsu now generates more than half of its revenue, 59% last year, from outside its home market. Yet Dentsu and Dentsu Aegis Network probably are less known and understood in the U.S. than the big holding companies like WPP, Omnicom, Publicis, and IPG. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age. Dentsu, and therefore Nick, who joins me on the AdLib podcast today, has a stated goal of becoming a 100% digital business by 2020. We will get into that. His background in an industry that he says he loves, creativity, which is something Dentsu Aegis Network is not particularly known for, big wins, acquisition goals, and why he's tired of the narrative about the big bad consulting companies. But before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, NPR. With 16.8 million monthly users, NPR is the number one podcast publisher in America. But numbers only take you so far. Stay tuned after our chat with Nick Bryan and find out how NPR sponsorship drives impact at scale for brands. Let's welcome Nick. Good. So, and you have been on your job for about a year. Nick yeah. Bryan, you are a seasoned agency executive. You've been the CEO of McCann World Group, the global CEO of iCrossing, and for a little over a year now, CEO of Dentsu Aegis Network Americas. Yeah. Thank That's you. Right. Welcome to AdLib. Thanks for joining us. Thank today. you. We've had a couple of, uh, we, met, we met at Cannes two years in a row. I guess we sort of had a nice chat this year at the Ad Age Lawn Party. But let's, um, for our listeners, let's start with Dentsu, which formed Dentsu Aegis Network in 2013. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, it was to manage the company's operations outside Japan. Dentsu now generates more than half of its revenue. This is according to Ad Age Data Center. 59% of its yeah. revenue last year from outside its home market. Uh, yet Dentsu and Dentsu Aegis Network arguably probably slightly less known and understood in the US than the big uh, holding companies like WBP, Omnicom, Publicis. So how would you, as the CEO of Dentsu Aegis Network Americas, describe what differentiates Dentsu? Well, I, so let's start by saying, yes, you're right there, the level of sort of understanding the clarity of the story, because again, it's young, it's young, as you said, it's five years old. Dentsu had acquired McGarry Byrne, uh, I think 12 years ago in the US. So they, they've been strategically considering the buy. But the big buy was when they acquired Aegis. Mm -hmm. So obviously a tremendous and formidable global media buying power. Two, you know, two years ago, they acquired Merkel, mm -hmm. uh, another huge, the definitive player, I would argue, in the whole sort of data technology infrastructure business. Um, they're formidable. They had been building Isobar through a number of acquisitions as many, many years. They've been doing that as Aegis. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what's... Um, What's really interesting is the design of uh, all of these important acquisitions they've been making is is all in line with the strategy, Ooh. which is to how to create a more integrated offering or, or, or the ability to ha have these expert specialist capabilities working together in a very uh, seamless and dynamic way. This is why it's in our name. Ooh. I mean, we are not a holding company. We don't hold assets. We don't hold them back. We're a network. It's about connectivity. Because when you think about social networks, yeah. you think about the fluidity. It's like water. It moves. It's uh, yeah. and that and that 
is uh, very much in the essence of our culture, which is about helping our clients win, keep and grow their best customers. Uh, yeah, I like I like your framework of holding companies and holding things back. So now no, you listed ages, you list, you listed the ice bar, but outside of Japan, Dentsu sort of lacks a creative agency like uh, uh, McCann. Or well, McCann, McGarry, Bowen yeah. just won American Express out of Ogilvy after 56 years without a pitch. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the Lin-Manuel Miranda work? <laughs> I mean, it's just broken last uh -huh. week. So the platform, the pl big global platform idea of don't live life without it, don't do mm. business without it, don't be an editor without it. I mean, mm -hmm. the notion of backing mm. is such a huge creative thought and the amplification of that. So I would argue that, that the different kind of creative Creativity that we are we have within the group, admittedly relative to say the traditional holding companies mm -hmm. that have a lot of legacy ad agencies. We haven't not got any big low global legacy ad agencies. Mm -hmm. We have um, very nimble. When I think about the creativity of 360i, also fantastic. When I think about the creativity of digital experiences with Isobar and Firstborn AR, the VR applications they've been developing. Mm -hmm. But if you were to look at advertising, classic. The formats, whether 30 second or the, no, we have, um, we, we, we are more scarce there, and I'm happy to have that situation because we're looking at a digital era and we're living in it and we're designed for it, and that means that we're not in the advertising business, we're in the engagement business. Mm -hmm. The only reason I ever bought well, is, it, is it taboo to say that you're in the advertising not business? Not at all, because but I'm going to define it, I'm going to refine it mm -hmm. in the context of this new world where we know in an attention deficit. Disorder. We know that the model of interruptive push-based advertising mm -hmm. is giving way to us creating content and experiences that you as a consumer want to pull into your life. Right. That's how a brand, this is our vision that marketing is moving to mattering. How right. does a brand matter to you and is going to be not just a utility, everyone's talking about the utility of brands. No, it becomes something really emotionally engaging and relevant. It's so not disruptive. It's which not, is the well, <laughs> there's a lot of, dis I mean, yeah, there's a lot of disruption. People say that to me the whole day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just met someone at a dinner party the other the day and oh you work in advertising you've been disrupted and you're gonna you're gonna get eaten alive and you're finished yeah. you're dead i don't know how you're gonna be able to afford to feed your kids and okay well the record industry got disrupted and look at the music industry talk to me about spotify and pandora mm -hmm. i mean every industry goes through it i can't name an industry whether it be in travel or fashion or retail or whatever that isn't being disruptive if you don't adapt and that's why i enjoy the essence of the japanese mentality through densu mm -hmm. which is they start first and foremost by wanting to be an excellent business partner with their clients and they bring brand building and all that creativity to bear, not just on a services mentality. So we are going to be selling expert services because you may want a website design, you may want a new ad campaign, you want your media board. But we are always going to choose to believe that we can weave together our expert services to be more in the solution space. Right, and that's what I meant by disruption. I'm not saying that the business is being disrupted, which we all know it is, but advertising as dis the using disruption as a tactic in advertising I, it sounds sort of antithetical to the way you're describing your approach you know what i mean like oh we're advertising we're going to disrupt the consumer and uh, get in their face or whatever. yeah but we're going to use it i mean i think the role of advertising to be highly impactful mm -hmm. you wait till you see our new subway work breaking look at the nike work that broke yesterday two days ago i mean there is a power to building the brand awareness but what we've got to recognize is not just engaging and building awareness it's converting that into some kind of behavior into a transaction so i just believe that creativity 
the the power of creativity is throughout the entire process, not just at the top of the funnel, customer acquisition, advertising. Because actually, my point of view is the creativity of content is the lifeblood of any brand, mm. and it's needed throughout the journey. And so within that customer journey, I don't care, the online, offline, above, there are no lines in that. How are we really creative? It's interesting, you talk, we talk about the creativity. I was at some summit not so long ago, and I was challenged by all these uh, CRM and direct marketeers in the crowd about how boo, boo, advertising is finished, it's over. And I asked them to put up my hands if they, any of them had a CRM strategy or program that was really wow, really creative, really awesome, really innovative, really on the leading edge, not one hand went up. Right, okay, and most of your websites are boring online catalogs. So talk to me about creativity. So I just think we've got to look at the lens through the lens of creativity in every touch point that we're going to engage with the consumer. Mm-hmm. So you, you were talking about, you were listing off the acquisitions that the, the uh, Dentsu Aegis Network has gone through since 2013. Do you have any on the horizon? You've been here a year now. Are you eyeing any uh, acquisitions? Yes. Can you name them? No. <laughs> Had to ask, had to ask. So no interest in, say, an MDC partners, 72 and sunny interest in all of them no. interest in everything i mean you know but again we we we've got that dynamic between my design and my checkbook right. and again our colleagues in japan and the dense regions network and again we're very thoughtful what we are is being very thoughtful not just about buying capabilities but about culture because i won't have anyone talk to a client within a pitch if they're going to just talk about capabilities or their data or their tech, unless they're going to talk about that in conjunction with culture. And our cultural commitment is that we're going to have highly collaborative entrepreneurial people. Then Swedish Network is built by the entrepreneurs. I mean, I have 28 operating units in the US. 22 came through M&A. 17 are still in earnout. This is not a corporate culture. This is a highly entrepreneurial, bold, risk-taking, and dynamic culture. It's fantastic. My job is to have them all work together and lean in together and collaborate together because then if I can harness, and I will harness that power of the entrepreneurial mentality. And by the way, they're entrepreneurs in this business, which means they're going to take risks. They've risked, you know, they started their own businesses. They're, they have chosen not to go either, whether it be in the technology space or the CRM space. So I think what's really exciting is as we continue and you think about character, we acquired them. We've acquired so far nine different businesses this year, right, in the U.S. Um, every one of those founders and that, those management teams, those leadership teams, could have basically sold to anyone. They choose to join an organization where they believe they're going to join and they get on a rocket ship. Where the, not just a growth economically, but the culture is going to be very vital and they're going to be able to make a bigger contribution to just doing their earnout and then leaving in three years. They don't mm-hmm. want to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's exciting. Merkel, since it, it's been acquired in the last two years, is doubled in size. It continues to be for every single one of the most recent pitches. We've been at the big significant ones. Merkel has played a significant role. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're not just in the business of talking about acquiring customers. We want to acquire the best customers. We want to retain them. And we want to turn that loyalty into growth through advocacy. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at every turn to weave together. And this isn't about hockey selling. Yeah, I've got a bit of this. Would you like to buy a bit of this? No. How are we strategically looking to bring marketing to make it more efficient, to make it more effective, and to make it more accountable to the business results. Mm-hmm. And we choose to believe that by integrating our capabilities around a customer lifecycle, 
we'll do a better job. Now, not every client wants that. They might want a tactical element. They might want a new website design or they want their SEO or they want a CRM program. I mean, but what we do is choose to explain that in our view, because we're experts in the world of marketing, you transform and drive growth through integration because everything's fragmented. The consumer landscape, the media landscape is fragmented. Most of the big client organizations in the US, they're that large, they're very fragmented. E-commerce sits in that building, media's over in that building, sales promotion's over there, the brand division is separate to the the operating division. You know, there's so much fragmentation. And so what is, when we're thinking about brand experience, the consumer, what is a brand? It's a sum total of your experiences. And that could be, I don't care how good the advertising is, and I drive you to download the app, and you order the car, and it's on the other side of Brooklyn and not outside. That digital experience, that technology experience, sucks. Bye-bye. It's gone. So weaving together the digital experience with the comms and the advertising and the storytelling, we see it in a very simple way. We say to a lot of our people when they join, especially the kids where they're all coming in, keep it simple, SOS, tattoo it on your forehead, storytelling and an omni-channel world to drive sales. That's what we're doing. And we believe in omni-channel. That's why Merkel, that's why M1, their data analytics PII-based identity system to drive people-based marketing is a beautiful thing. Because the only other people who can really do people-based marketing is Facebook and maybe even Google, and behind those walls that are getting thicker and higher, there's not a lot, you know. So explain what M1 is. for. M1 is the identity of every single American scrambled and obviously de-identified to the ability of really knowing true behavior based on you. Not people like you or cookies or proxies. This is all first-party data. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Assembled over over a decade with a tremendous amount of focus on the analytics and the technology by Merkel, and now we've invested and brought that into the center of Dan. So we're choosing to say to our clients, whether it be on market on audience segmentation, targeting, content development, messaging, message sequencing, we're basically saying identity trumps anonymity. Identity is what it's all about, and we have this. So is that is that what you would describe as the Dan secret sauce? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, or, yeah, but it's a secret source with the people who know what to do with it. Right. I mean, it's the technology. I mean, a paintbrush is a technology. If I give you a paintbrush and I have a paintbrush, mm-hmm. I'm Nick Bryan with a paintbrush, you're Picasso. <laughs> I mean, I wish. Uh, well, you know, you're, the way you're, you're describing the way you guys operate sounds a lot like the noises that all of the holding companies are making. We have the power of one, open architecture, we're sort of breaking down silos. It seems to be a trend across the board. Would you... Well, I think if a trend is to make things simpler, more transparent, more affordable, less confusing, less painful, then I think that's a very welcome trend. Mm-hmm. They're reorganizing around that way. We're building around that way. <laughs> There's no reorganizing. Mm-hmm. This is the design of our organization and the very careful and thoughtful acquisition by sector because we are all structured around the customer life cycle of engagement to activation to conversion to transaction and retention. And we're very thoughtful about that strategic process. And I would say it's a good thing for our industry. I like everything I'm seeing about every one of the holding companies making a significant focus on reorganizing in tune with this landscape in which we're working. But here's the difference. We are not one in a category. We are a category of one. Talk more about the way and how Japanese culture informs Denzu even in in the Americas. 
it's just I think the most primary feeling that I've experienced since joining and I'd worked with them over 10 years ago when I was with Publicis and Publicis Group had an acquisition through them with the whole BCom3 transaction it never turned into anything meaningful and then in fact no 15 years ago and I would say the most simple definition of the Japanese mentality is long term mm. there isn't the short term quarter to quarter to quarter western focused on capitalist the capitalist model quick, which is quick wins quick wins mm. quarter to quarter and it's Wall Street focused and it's shareholder focused for the Japanese I think for Dentsu it's very clear the stickiness and longevity and the significance of their relationships and their partnerships focuses on a very long-term mentality. And the mentality isn't just about a service, it's based on a holistic, they call it total solutions, total solutions. So it's that solutions over services mindset. They're as excited as anyone to see great media or a new ad campaign or web design or UX or AR treatments, but they get much more excited when you can talk to them about how we're integrating our expert capabilities to really drive great business results for our clients. Including building the brand and brand transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Building the brand, dimensionalizing the brand, activating the brand. Which yeah. is almost a return to the way the old agency of record. Of course, uh, that was the old. If, yeah. you, if I go back to McCann and I studied when I joined McCann as a global CEO, yeah. I went back and started to read when it was McCann and then when he merged his agency with Ericsson. And every, you go back, everything was integrated mm. PR and market research and sales promotion. They were. Leah Burnett was that way in the old, in the original days. I had the great privilege of working at the Leah Burnett company. Mm. The fragmentation basically began with the unbundling of media. And with the unbundling in the media, then obviously we enter a digital age. And then in the digital age, we have the lack of transparency. So for all the promise of digital, which is addressability, measurability, accountability, all the promises, it's been a big frustration for many clients. It, as you it know. goes away without the, with there's no, the promise goes away when there's no transparency. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of digital, you, D- Dentsu has said that digital accounted for nearly 58% of the company's 2017 revenue uh, outside of Japan. Um, looking ahead, let's say 10 years, five, 10 years, what percentage of the global CMO spending is going to be digital and what percentage is non-digital down the road, do you think? 100% digital. 100% digital. Because everything's going to be digital. Because mm. I don't think you're going to make a distinction because ultimately, even if I buy a magazine ad, I'm actually not going to be buying a magazine ad. I'm going to be working with a content company and they're going to have created a podcast and there's going to be an online application and we'll be linked to a website. We're serving content to the phone. The digital dimension I think will just be 100%. And our ability... And you have the M1, and then you're... We have M1, and, and then we have identity. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then also, but here's the other thing. I think this gets to the heart of us also recognizing that marketing is changing and consumer sophistication is changing, and they know you have your data. They know, they know I have your data. So mm-hmm. on that basis, customize and create something relevant for me and engaging. Don't just spam me and annoy me. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that we're right at this point within the next two to three years that brands and brand building we're going to have to really take this very seriously because there are a lot of consumers people 
people, forget about consumers, as people. They're flooding they're away from traditional TV, traditional channels. They're going to SVOD, they're going to OTT, they're going to, I know my own family, and I see it, and they'd rather have Spotify Prime to avoid the ads. They want to watch Game of Thrones. They're always on Netflix. You know? And then what? And then Amazon comes in. Yeah. I mean, Super Bowl is going to be up for a bit at the end of the year. Is that up the end or middle of next so, year? Yeah, I mean, it's, right. it's further so down people are talking 16, 18 billion. Well, they could, do, they could do 25 billion. They could do 30 billion, put it behind the Amazon firewall. Yeah. And it's now only for Prime members. And then another big chunk of our audience are people who which which we're trying to engage we can't access them no this is a and by the way i don't believe this has to do with advertising i think it has to do with i don't know i don't think it has to do with brands and people don't want to engage with brands i just don't think it's changing habits changing habits and doing it in a more innovative way so that's our challenge and that's as much of a challenge for cbs and abc fox have been really innovative about a number of the media owners let's say the traditional media owners are waking up to the fact they've got to be more innovative because i'm sorry if you're watching csi and you're about to see the knife going da, 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 bing, and there's a six minute ad break i'm really now i'm in the middle of an ad pod it's frustrating it's not it's not a highly innovative and engaging consumer experience. And when a choice comes along, like I'm never going back to yellow taxis out here. I'm going to stick to Uber because right. I'm now in a different space. I think we, the advertising industry, is going to move into this space. Right. And you, before we turn on the, the mics, uh, you were talking about we, the, the consultant space came up as well. The consultancies came up. And you said that the, the threat or the attention that's been paid to the threat that the consultants pose has been overblown can you can you go into that well i believe or too much attention has been paid it's just another competitive set it's another competitive set and i just i genuinely believe that we're we need to we need to use their arrival and their emergence into our sector as a significant wake-up call, as a real recognition that our professional services, that clients are now looking to a different kind of model. They're looking to and, and to looking to engage. Uh, and maybe that is self-inflicted, but I think we should be focusing our real effort and resources as a professional services industry to making sure that our high that our professional standards, not just ethically uh, with integrity, but I'm talking operationally and the contribution we're making through the accountability of what we do is really the focus of our attention, not wondering about how bit much bigger Accenture Interactive is going to grow. Mm -hmm. What is the, the biggest pain point that keeps coming up among your clients? There's not one. There's, there's not, there are I think, 100? No, I think, yeah. there's, I think there's two or three. I yeah. think cost, cost is one. Again, yeah. everyone wants more for less. Every CEO, CFO is putting pressure on how much they're spending on their total AMP as a percentage of the business. Can I get more for less? So the more for less dynamic, okay? Mm -hmm. So the cost equation in that, or let's, let's say value. How do we continue to get more for less? Which is what you're seeing at the, uh, the other holding companies. You're saying that that's where the creative ends up suffering. That's where they, they end up cutting the most, I would. I, I've heard the same. I've heard, I've heard the same. Yeah. I have a lot of my friends uh, in some of these groups with very vital creative agencies. Yeah. I've got some very, very good friends at Fallon and Sarch and Leah. And they get squeezed. Of course, because mm -hmm. now you're the power one and it's the power of the one. And the one it isn't, doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean them or whatever the dynamic. And I'm not big. I mean, anyone. Yeah. I think we have to continue to obsess. And this goes to my second pain point, mm -hmm. which is more my pain point, but it manifests itself for the clients. Talent. How do I continue to attract the brightest and the best into our industry? Because fine, go to Facebook and get free muesli and a foot massage every day. But that isn't you're working for a platform. And I want to make sure that we aren't a platform. We are we have platforms, but we have platforms 
processes and people. And our people, ultimately, what is an agency? An agency is people, process, and technology. Mm. And if I... I believe, fine, I have M1, and I really believe in the superior to M1. Well, a people-based approach is going to become pretty much an industry norm before you know it. Now, I don't believe it's just going to be about the technology. How are our processes and the way we work going to be superior and more effective for our clients? And then how are our people going to enjoy working? And that's the other thing I want to do. We, it's not me, all of us, all with us within the Dentistry Aegis Network truly have a belief that we enjoy growth organically with our clients more so than the new business machine. We will participate in new business, we will do new business, but we really enjoy the conversation when we're having the conversations where one part of our business is thriving and we're looking to recommend to the client or they come to us and say, could you not amplify that great creative thinking and that great creative platform by more closely aligning media and creativity or technology experiences and the comms? The answer is yes. And we'd love to show you how. Well, why, why would a young, talented person want to come work for an agency today? Three reasons. The young talent coming in aren't in a box they have a a space a creative space in our world of the intangible world that they are going to be able to create and innovate usually as part of a team and that's going to be attractive to them right because we're not as it was told to me a long time ago we're not a profession that has all the orthodoxies of a profession we're a business second collaboration this is a highly collaborative business it's not a cutthroat business people are motivated by creativity you want to make the money go down to wall street and sit in front of a screen all day and worry about who's going to chop your legs and steal your shoes this is most people in my industry aren't motivated by greed. And thirdly, progression. This can be a high, fast-moving industry for those who are the go-getters and those who are talented and those who do work hard. So, uh, you know, and, and also I think it comes down to character as well. You find those people who... Are, they don't want to live in the shadows. They want to take risks. They are bold. They are. They have the confidence because this is a fast-moving industry. And what are they saying? They're a land of the blind. The one-eyed man is king. I mean, people are making up. Look, look, look what's going on on the Capitol Hill right now. Mm. I mean, the dynamics of how we're changing and evolving, I just think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating. I profess that. I think it's the best industry in the whole wide world. Well, so you got into the business. Uh, it was Great London uh, originally, yeah, for, originally first of all, in, yeah. in the 80s, 82-ish. Right out of school, if you were just getting out of school today, what would you? Where would you go? And don't say, then to No, no, no. Yeah, but <laughs> I, well, I, I, nah, I'd write you a letter and tell you that afterwards. <laughs> right? I'd give you a business card. I remember Scott Galloway being asked that same question: like, yeah. Do I go to business school or I get to work? Yeah. And he says straight away, you get to work. You got a business school. If you don't know what you wanted to do, he described, and he's a dean of NY Stern Business School. He's one of it, and he said, don't waste your money. I mean, if you're confused and you hate what you do. Go to business school and find out what it's all about. But if you have the opportunity to get into an industry and you start to enjoy it and you start to enjoy the fruits of that success and you start to engage and connect, mm -hmm. then double down, double down, double down. So as far as I'm concerned, I would always encourage young people to think about our industry very seriously. But if you like structure and if you like process and if you like 
paper. We're a people's person. We're not a papers industry. We like we like people. People. We want people to understand consumers and have empathy and collaboration and 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 understand that this is not going to be about rules and structure. This is kids who want to work and they want a career that's built on tracks. Mm. We're laying the track every day and we are course correcting every day. Mm -hmm. We zig left, they've gone right. right. You know, we're, yeah. we're in a highly, and this is what we say to our clients. How many clients have we worked with and have you tracked in your magazine? And you have seen, uh, not magazine, but, the, but the, everything. It's a digital, it's digital, a multi-platform <laughs> media brand, Nick. Ah, <laughs> uh, so I'll rehearse that. So in the multi-channel, omni-channel experience of that age, so what you, how many brands have we tracked where they have not been adaptive and flexible and they've hung on too long mm. to what worked in the past and they have not evolved? So I just think that whole process of continual evolution is a very exciting part of this industry. Yeah, so you, you may have answered my next question already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, you, as much as anyone, understand that it's a tough business. It's an exciting business, but it's a tough business. Uh, you were let go as CEO of McCann World Group in 2012. You had a handsome exit pass it, package. You could have walked away from the industry, but you didn't. Why? Because I love the industry. Yeah. And I think if you ask any of my bosses at IPG, you talk to Michael Roth, you talk to Philippe, you talk to any of the guys. And again, I have very good relationships with all of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of the way I handed McCann over. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel I left it in a better structure and a better shape. And I did my bit. And they decided it was time to mix it up and have someone different. That's, mm -hmm. business. That's business. I've loved but the industry. And I'll tell you a very interesting point. There's one person who made a big difference in this. It was pretty soon after that happened. And I remember meeting Michael Cass, and I wasn't sure I was going to go to Cannes, that whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think we'd had a dinner together, and I mentioned that to me. And he grabbed me by the throat. And I think he actually slapped me, I think, and said, <laughs> you are going to Cannes. This is your industry. You are of this industry. Where you're working, this is, a, this is the way this industry works. You're paid well. If it's time for a change and it's not going fast enough or there's a disagreement, Boards, the boards, it's a public company. They've got to make the decision. That's the way it goes. Don't personalize it. You are of this industry. Do you still love this? Of course I do. And then you're going to get to Can. Mm -hmm. And I went to Can. I met the board of the Snap. I was and then I made an advisor of Snapchat. Then I met with the Hearst guys. And then I, they asked me to come in. I mean, it's just a beautiful industry in that way because you just have to say, fine. Mm -hmm. And I believe that anyone very senior in this industry, if you haven't been fired once and kicked on your ass and smacked in the mouth and knocked down, <laughs> and if you don't get back on the pony, then you don't get back on the pony. I mean, mm -hmm. it's entirely that. I love this industry. I love the product of this industry. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, I like serving clients. We are in, when you really boil this down, you, you either lean into that. Now, some will say it's crazy, the hours, you're masochistic, whatever. You're wired a certain way. I have a friend who's a fireman and one who's a doctor and another one who's a dentist. I mean, we go through all the careers our different friends have mm -hmm. and you always find the ones who are passionate and it's a vocation and they love it. I mean, after I left McCann, you know, it was public. I had a very, mm -hmm. they were very generous with me. Mm -hmm. IPG were fantastic all the way through. Did I need a job? I didn't need a job. I was looking for another mission. Mm -hmm. And you found it. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? You grew up in London? Yeah, a bit of a bit of, <laughs> yeah. hybrid mix. German mother, Australian father. Mm -hmm. They met in London, so we, we lived in Germany for a while, and he hated it. And they lived in Australia, and she hated it, so they went back to London. So formative years, the you UK. Were, you were formative UK, but you bounced around even. Bounced around, but I was there from the age of eight. And then mm -hmm. I would say the formative years, and then I happened to meet um, a beautiful copywriter from Chicago mm -hmm. and actually through the Leah Burnett company. And I always it's wanted always to work in the States. <laughs> I, I, it's always a way. Yeah. And I, I, I really, uh, I just, I enjoyed my time in the UK, but I kind of, 
run the Learbanet company, I've built media businesses. Mm-hmm. And you actually forget, one of the businesses I set up after Grey was we set up uh, Media Independent, BBJ. Mm-hmm. And I set it up with now my boss, Jerry Bullman, who's at Dentsu Aegis Network as a, as a, as a CEO. Um, and it, it's great in a way. It shows what's also dynamic about this business. After 30 years, he calls me and says, hey, we have not stayed in great contact, but I've kind of we've been tracking what's going on, and I need someone who's got this kind of multidimensional experience across the industry in mm-hmm. the Americas, and it's the best region in the world. So I'm very happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And so you you mentioned that you were you had sort of a peripatetic career uh, background before before landing here. You've been at uh, Dentsu, IPG, Publicis. You have probably pretty unique insight into competing with uh, WPP, I would imagine, and what's going on there. with the exit of uh, Martin Sorrell, the ascension of Mark Reed, is that good news for you? Bad news? Neutral? Interesting? I think I, I was I was thinking if there's one obvious question you asked me is uh, you know WPP. I have not met Mark Reed. I've only heard great things about him. Wonderman I've competed with with many many years. I think the evolution from the days of Lester Lester Wonderman into what they've become is formidable. I've always known David Sable, many of the, Bob Norman, I mean, Owen Gottlieb, I've known many of the tremendously talented people and had, uh, you know, pleasure to spend, you know, some quality of time with Martin Soul over the many years. So, they're, they've got formidable assets. I mean, you know, we've competed all the way with JWT, mm-hmm. uh, Ogilvy. I mean, I, I wish him well. I mm-hmm. wish him well. I only hear very good things about Would him. Would you have wanted that job? Um, I'm really happy where I am. <laughs> uh, you guys scored uh, a good win in August. You landed uh, North American Media Account with Luxury Goods, Wine and Spirits Maker LVH, uh, VLVMH. Yeah. I always flip those two. LVMH, Moet, Hennessy, Louis Vuitton. Do you have a favorite spirit? What did you what did you pop open when you won? Oh, uh, it was uh, it was Moe. We we had some <laughs> champagne. There was a lot of champagne flying that night, and uh, yeah, we're we're most proud of that. And that was led by Doug Ray, who's a, who's our chairman of Dan Media US. And and again, you know, we've been involved in a number of significant ones since. Uh, running it really at the same time as you, as I met you in Cannes, I said yeah. it's like three years ago. It's another media pitch palooza, you know. Mm-hmm. Amex just started then, Intel, United Air, you know that there it just like, has been coming thick and fast. But uh, for us to have uh, have won LVMH, uh, we're very proud of that. Yeah, great. Do you have anything you want to add? Anything that you're excited about now? Well, just uh, I think I just I just want to add my continued optimism and believe that our industry matters greatly. I believe that brands. I mean, there's too much of everything, too many goods, too many services. So differentiation through branding, and not only just differentiation, but the creation of premium around a brand and distinguishing against what Amazon are going to be bringing us. Mm-hmm remains as important as ever. So you're not buying the, the gloom and doom? That you're no, doing? absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. Marketing, branding and marketing and brand building is so important and it's harder to do. So if something's very hard and it's more important than ever and it's harder to do, we have a rosy outlook. Great. Well, best of luck and thanks Thank for, you very much. Thanks for joining us. Thank today. you for the sure. conversation. Thanks. I want to thank Nick Bryan for joining me today. He is, of course, the CEO of Dentsu Aegis Network Americas. I want to thank Alfred Mascaroni, our producer on this and so very many of these episodes. I want to thank you, our listener, for listening today. And speaking of listeners, did you know that 80% of NPR podcast listeners hold a more positive opinion of brands that support NPR? That's impact at scale. 
To learn more about sponsorship opportunities across NPR platforms, visit npr.org slash four brands. And when you're done with that, be sure to check us out at adage.com. Subscribe to us here at AdLib at iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever there are good podcasts. Be sure to give us stars and please tell a friend.